We have been looking in our evening services on the subject of waiting on God. And um, today, Abby was going to talk about humility. I don't know what he was going to say, <laughs> but let's read the, um, the text for um, our reflections tonight, which is in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. I just thought those, I'll read from this, this um, version. God, sorry, Jesus told this story to some people who thought they were very good and looked down on everyone else. A Pharisee and a tax collector both went to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood alone and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people who steal, cheat, and take part in adultery, or even like this tax collector. I give up eating twice a week, and I give one-tenth of everything I earn. The tax collector, standing at a distance, wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat on his chest because he was so sad. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, when this man went home, he was right with God, but the Pharisee was not. All who make themselves great will be made humble, and all who make themselves humble will be made great. I had never heard of the litany of humility until Lent, when my friend told me she was planning to pray it. We were sort of doing Lent together on Zoom, and I felt I should show willing. This is the litany of humility. Does anyone know it? Okay. This is how it goes. It was, um, it, it's old, but it's been sort of reworked, but it's at least 100 years old. <laughs> Lord Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honoured, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being slandered, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. 
from the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be preferred to me in everything. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. I wonder what you make of that prayer. It wasn't long before we regretted praying it. We spent the six weeks complaining about it. Because it goes against the grain. It goes against our natural instinct to preserve ourselves from being trampled on, from having proper self-esteem, from not being too hard on ourselves, from becoming too self-preoccupied. But despite all these red flags, it showed me my impulse to justify myself, to appear in a good light, to pander to my need to be respected and understood. It revealed how much energy I use in protecting myself. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because what matters more than anything that, than anything is who I am before God. When the devil humbles me and makes me afraid, he shovels despair on my brokenness. When God humbles me, it's a painful gift. We Baptists are, I think, in danger of thinking that we've got sin sussed. We get it, we preach it, we talk about it. If ever we get as far as being able to tell someone outside the church about our faith, we mention our belief in a holy God, our wrongdoing, our falling short, our missing the mark. We speak of the way Jesus has provided to mend the broken relationship between us and God. We encourage whoever listens to come to the cross, to experience God's undeserved kindness, to receive his unbelievable and beautiful forgiveness. We have slots in our services when we confess the wrongs that we have done and the good that we have failed to do. It's rare, not to mention in our prayers, our gratitude to Jesus in dying while we were still sinners. And we're sincere. But I wonder sometimes if the rawness escapes us. If when you've been a Christian for a long time, will you just get better at hiding your sins or disguising them? 
or living comfortably with them like old friends. That's just the way I am, we say. It's in my genes. My mother was just like that. <laughs> Personally, as an occasional preacher, I am challenged by the terrifying reality that I can kid myself. That if I speak out particular truths about God and grace, obedience and compassion from a wooden pulpit on a Sunday, I'm actually modeling them in my daily life from Monday to Saturday. In my English teaching classroom, in my ethical decisions, in my relationships with colleagues and friends and family. And as I get older, I wonder if I mistake lack of energy for wild, evil pursuits as growth and holiness. So perhaps with those listening to Jesus' story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, I have a laugh. What a ludicrous scene. What an arrogant, self-satisfied, judgmental idiot that Pharisee is. What a hypocrite, parading his over-the-top fasting and tithing, making sure that everyone around knows just how, that, how devout he is. Thank goodness I'm not as awful as him. I find that I'm the third person in Jesus' story. I may be a sinner, but I'm not as bad as that Pharisee. And the tax collector, well, they were greedy traitors in Jesus' time, taking money and more from their fellow countrymen. So his plea for mercy is definitely right, in my humble stand-back-and-observe opinion. Who knows what else he'd done? I once got cross with a humble man, that's what he called himself, and he was always telling us that he was a very humble leader, leading humbly. And then there was one day I just couldn't contain it anymore, and I said, listen, you're always saying how humble you are, but I really can't see it. He was very cross, and he wanted the meeting to end. He couldn't bear the thought that we didn't all think he was humble. Well. I told myself smugly, he definitely gave himself away that day. As I get closer to Jesus, as I look at him, as I take time to pray, as I reflect on the day, I notice layers of sinfulness like an onion that makes you cry. Sometimes I shrug it off. Okay, I, I may not have dealt with that as well as I might, but they were more in the wrong. They injured me. They should apologize. And ungodly attitudes and values lie buried deep in my history, hardened to rock-solid habits. Hurt people hurt people. T.S. Eliot famously said, humankind cannot bear very much reality. And so, it is that from time to time, that sharp edge of the Holy Spirit's knife pierces the protective color, co cover of my sinfulness, cuts through one or two layers, and I am exposed. It may take a confrontation or a misunderstanding or a challenge to reveal my shame, to force me to catch a glimpse of my ongoing daily desperate need for Jesus, for mercy, for grace.
And so, <clears throat> at times, I find myself creeping up behind this tax collector, kneeling next to him. The words have run out, the excuses, the extenuating circumstances, and he lends me a prayer. The most important words I could ever say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I can't tell you how many times through the years I have borrowed his cry, Lord, have mercy, and made it mine. And sometimes at that place, at the cross, where the one with no sin at all, not even under a thousand layers, takes my punishment, I hold out my empty hands. I come with nothing. Perhaps some onion tears because the Holy Spirit's knife hurts. But it's the surgeon's cut which gouges out the rotten poison. It's the cut that signals healing, the cleansing that brings peace. And after a while, I lift my eyes and I watch the tax collector going home, justified before God. And in time, I follow him, arms full of mercy, layers upon layers of grace, forgiven, loved. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, friend of sinners, you bring hope in our despair. Lord, have mercy. Jesus, healer of the sick, you give strength in our weakness. Lord, have mercy. Jesus, destroyer of evil, you bring life in our dying. Lord, have mercy. God of our hidden depths, in honest regret, in trust, we confess our faults and recognize our frailty. Show us that we are forgiven so that we may forgive. Touch our wounds with your healing so that we may be people who heal. Help us to be at peace with ourselves so that we may become makers of your peace for others. Through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. I praise the wounds and the blood of the Lamb that heals the weakness of my body. I praise the wounds and blood of the Lamb that heals the weakness of my soul. I praise the wounds and the blood of the Lamb that heals the weakness of my spirit. I praise the blood of the Lamb that makes all things new. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.